Well, my thanks to uh, Clint for taking the worship team and leading us beautifully this morning. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon, uh, Brandon is on vacation, has been on vacation this past week and is out this Sunday just enjoying some R&R. And so just so great to have Clint and uh, the team lead us so, so beautifully this morning. And well, I'll tell you, church family, it's, it's just great to see it full here. If you were in first service, you would know that a lot of the first service folks are in this service. <laughs> Being strategic this morning, I think, and realizing, well, if I come to second service, I don't have to come back for the turning leave. So we're glad. We're glad. However you are here today, we're glad. And if you're just visiting, maybe for the first time, really glad to have you with us. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at the Bible Church. My privilege to help lead us in our worship of the Lord through the study of his word. And how many of you this morning believe that God is going to speak to us today through his word? Yes, you believe that. That's why you're here at Idlewild Bible Church. So we're going to pray and just commit our time of worship in the word to the Lord. We're going to do it a little bit different today. I'm I'm not going to pray and you're just going to listen and agree with my prayer. I'm going to ask you to actually pray, not out loud, but just you and the Lord have a, have a short conversation in which you would be asking him to speak into your life. Just like we sang a moment ago, that he would speak into your life through his word, that he would speak into your heart, that he would, he would just have a hold of your mind today, and that he would work his will out through you using his word as one of the ways he would do that. So I'm just going to create this little space. You go to the Lord, you talk to him, you invite him into this moment and yourself into his presence through his word. And then I'll add the amen in a moment. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, I, I trust that it was a delight for your, for your heart this morning as in this brief moment your throne room was assaulted by all of these petitions asking you to speak into our hearts today. You've given us your precious word. It is the truth. We don't want to be hearers. We want to be doers of it. So we'd invite you into this moment. Make it so. You tell us in your word, Heavenly Father, in Hebrews 4.12, that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It's living, it's active, it penetrates, it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So who better than you to ask to penetrate our hearts with your word? Mold, make, refine, encourage, equip, whatever you need to do today. The Holy Spirit to the end that we might be the kind of church where Jesus is easy to see and hear and touch. We give you these moments. Make us a church where others are touched by Jesus. We love you, but only because you loved us first. All God's people said, 
Amen and amen. All right, church family. With that done, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John this morning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, fourth Gospel, John chapter 13, if you would please, and if you would take your Bible and and uh, and, and then also have, have a, that note page handy. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand. You may have gotten out of your house without that today, but we keep some in the back just in case we could supply you with one. And if today, perchance, you don't own a Bible, then let this be a gift from the Bible Church to you. You write your name in this Bible. You'll always have a Bible when you come back and spend time with us. Now, as I hear those pages turning, I love that thought. As you're getting settled in, just a reminder that we are taking a a two-week break from our study series in 1 Peter, this morning being the second half of that two-week break. And we took this break, you'll recall, to coincide with the Turning Leaf celebration that's going to happen in, in just a few moments, seeing that particular event as a great opportunity for us as a church family to, to just think about our relational life as a church family. After all, the whole reason for the Turning Leaf celebration in the first place is to encourage us and to en- enhance and foster our relationships with one another. And so creating a time, creating a place and a space for us to be able to do that together, to to meet, to meet new friends, to to strengthen relationships, relate to one another and interact and do life. Well, this creates the perfect moment for us to step out of 1 Peter and into a place like John's gospel this morning. Now, to help us guide us in the direction that we wanted to go, we spent time last week, if you were with us, in Mark's gospel, and we were in Mark chapter 12, and an occasion when Jesus, if you remember, was asked a question by a religious leader, a religious authority, a lawyer. And the question was, what is the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments that God gave, which one is the greatest? And, and if you remember, Jesus' reply, which is well known to many of us, was this from Mark 12, 30 and 31. Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus says there's, there's just one command, love. And it, it has two parts, love God and love others. Love God with all of your all of your being, Jesus says. Love God with all that you are, no part of you held back, no aspect of your life, not first and foremost deeply in love with him. Heart, soul, mind, strength. In other words, the, the non-physical part of you deeply in love with God, your spiritual life, your thoughts, your will, your emotions, the immaterial you loving God. That's the first part. And then the physical part of you as well, loving God with your, with your body. This, according to Jesus, is the preeminent command. And, and I think we said it doesn't take a special person to be a lover of God, but it does take all of a person to love God really well. And that's what Jesus was saying. The second half of Jesus' answer, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't treat others with less care than you would care for yourself. 
And as we noted, my neighbor is anyone. Anyone who has a need, whose need I have somehow become aware of, and whose need I might possibly be able to meet in some way. That's my neighbor. My neighbor is more than my friends. My neighbor is more than my church family. My neighbor is more than my relatives. Love God with all of you and love others as you love you. The bar is set very high by Jesus in those words. We can't do that in ourselves, can we, church? Not going to happen. We can't do this without our hearts being transformed by the saving power of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? It's not going to happen unless that happens. Belief in his death on the cross for our sin, belief in his resurrection, that it conquered sin, death, and the grave. Only then does the Holy Spirit of God, Scripture say, come into our lives and supply us with the power, the means whereby we can really love God and love others well. Only one made new from the inside out can do what Jesus is saying we should do. Now, I hope that being made new from the inside out has already happened in your life. I hope that it has happened in all of our lives who are in this room this morning, made new through faith in the living Lord Jesus. Now, if that's not happened for you yet, the jury is still out with regards to who Jesus is going to be in your life, then I would just challenge you, maybe today's the day that you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, to transform you from the inside out. We would love to join you on that journey, wouldn't we, church? We would love to be a part of that. And if you're saying, well, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how that would happen in my life. I don't know what it means to invite Jesus into my life and make him the Lord of my life. Well, here's what you do. Simply find somebody close by, maybe somebody that you know, and say, tell me more about Jesus. That's all you've got to do. And the Lord will take care of the rest through whoever you're talking to. May that happen today for you. But church family, Jesus has not said all that he wishes to say to us now on this matter of loving others, loving each other. He intends to raise the bar on love even higher than what he does in Mark 12. And he does that here in John chapter 13 where your Bible is now open. So let me just set the context for us since we're, we're stepping into this moment kind of, of from a, a dead start. Jesus and his small group of disciples, his, his closest disciples are in Jerusalem. They number 12 in, in, in particular, and they're gathered in a, in a rented room for what will be the last shared meal and conversation that Jesus has with them before he goes to the cross. It is Thursday evening of Passion Week, the week before Jesus dies. By 9 o'clock in the morning, on Friday morning, Jesus will be hanging between heaven and earth, paying our sin debt. On a cross. So that's the the time frame. It is Thursday night before the cross. For five chapters now, from John 13 through John 17, Jesus, on the eve of his death, is going to teach and talk to and show and serve and pray for and love on this inner circle of disciples, giving them final instructions, as it were 
before this momentous event of redemption really begins to unfold. So after Jesus, as God, washes all of the disciples' feet in the first part of John 13, including washing Judas, the betrayer's feet, an act of love and humility that I just, I never can get my head around that thought of God washing feet to say nothing of washing the betrayer's feet. But after that, Judas leaves this gathering. He's gone now out into the darkness to do his evil act. We pick up the story in verse 33, and here's what Jesus says. To the little circle of 11 gathered around a table. He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not, not new verses to most of us. A passage well known to most of us. Now, just as a sidebar, in John's gospel, this word love only appears 12 times in the first 12 chapters. One time on average for every chapter. But between chapters 13 and the end of the book, chapters 13 to 21, this word love is going to show up 44 times. Now, why does it do that? Well, it does that because Jesus is moving most rapidly now toward that moment that will define time and eternity. And at the heart of that moment, which is the cross and the resurrection, at the heart of that is love. So we should not be surprised that it appears so many times in the latter half of the book. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says it this way, By this the love of God was manifested in you, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that you might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he what? He loved us and sent his Son to be the payment price in full. Don't you love that? In full for our sins. And then based on this love that God has for us, Jesus says, verse 34 of John 13, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, we read the words, a new commandment, and we're perhaps a little bit puzzled by that. The command to love one another was hardly new in Jesus' day. It was, it was, it was old in Jesus' time, wasn't it? It goes clear back. We can trace its origins all the way back to Leviticus 19 in the Old Testament. So why would Jesus call it a new command? Well, that's a great question. Thank you, whoever asked that. Though not apparent in, in English, there were in Jesus' day a couple of different words, Greek words, for the word new. And he is speaking in Greek. 
So the word Jesus uses here is the word kainos. Now, it doesn't mean new in, in terms of having never existed before, something brand new in time or, or in chronology. There is another word for that sort of new. It's the Greek word naos. But Jesus doesn't use that word. He uses the word kainos because that Greek word means new in terms of being fresh or updated or, or renewed, that kind of a new. Not new as a command to do something that's never been commanded before, but to do something new, an old command applied in a brand new way. Do you follow the distinction? That's the distinction. Not new information here for us, but, but a, a new application of that information. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, that's the new part, isn't it? That's the new part. That's the kainos here, the new part. Just as I have loved you, you love each other. And since we're sort of in this word study mode, just know that the word for love that Jesus is using here is the word, guess what it is? Agape. Yeah, agape. Probably one of the first Greek words that we learn as a new Christian and uh, it means to love from the will. Love that's not born out of our emotions, but from our will. The highest form of love that there is. I choose to love you. With agape love, the first idea that should come to our minds is not some kind of a, a loving feeling, although feelings are certainly a part of agape love, but agape love is, first of all, a choice. It, it's not warm, fuzzy emotions, not butterflies in my tummy. It's not a tingly skin that I get because I love. That's not agape. In fact, we may not actually like someone, and yet we can still love them with agape love. Our Heavenly Father may not like the sinful choices that someone is making, those choices may cause him great sorrow, and yet he can still love them, can't he? He still can do that, and he does because agape is a choice that he makes from his will. And so Jesus says, choose to love others. Choose to do that, and I am going to be the measure, the standard by which you will love them. As I have loved you, you also love each other. Well, the obvious question begged from that statement is what? Well, how do you love, Jesus? How, how do you love? Because however you love, that's how you want me to love. So how do you love? Well, on your note page there, though though a true and really full answer to this question would, would fill books beyond number, we can offer four far-reaching answers to this question of, of, of Jesus, how do you, you love? Because how you love, that's, that's how I am to love. So how do you love? On your note page first, Jesus loves us. Say it with me, church. Jesus loves us sacrificially. sacrificially. You agree? Absolutely. That's agape love, choosing to love 
sacrificially. Jesus doesn't just live for us, brothers and sisters. He does what? He dies for us, doesn't he? He dies for us. Shortly after this moment here in chapter 13, Jesus will say to his followers in chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. What is that? That's sacrificial love, isn't it? He did not have to die our death. He did not have to pay our sin debt, suffer unspeakable pain and shame and divine judgment for us. Jesus did not have to do that. But he did do that, and he did that for us out of his love for us. God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Say it, church. Christ died for us. We missed it. (laughs) One more time. Is it there? Yeah, there it is. Great. (laughs) Jesus has loved us, say it again, sacrificially. Absolutely. But Jesus has also loved us unconditionally. Would you agree with that? Yeah. One of the most amazing things about the love of God, about the love of Jesus, is that it's not like we have to reach some level of spiritual goodness, some, some place of God-pleasing performance in our life before we're eligible to experience the love of God. Because if that was true, none of us would ever know the love of God, would we? If we had to somehow perform and reach this place uh, where, where God would love us, I mean, the truth is that all of us are so lost in our sin that, that no amount of effort on our part would ever get us to the place of acceptability before a holy God. We would never reach that spot, ever. So God chooses to love us, and Jesus chooses to die for us apart from anything that we have done. We call that unconditional love. In fact, the truth is that Jesus dies for us when we're at our worst, not at our best, at our worst. That's one of the great glorious truths of salvation. Romans 5, 8 again says it so beautifully. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So Jesus' love for us is unconditional love. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, love one another sacrificially, love one another unconditionally, and then love even though that love might not be returned. Do you recall the scene of of Jesus hanging on the cross? Here, this this image comes from the, the movie, The Passion, a recreation of the crucifixion moment. If you remember what scripture says, even as Jesus is dying on the cross, one of the things that he does from the cross is he prays for those who have have put him on the cross. He prays for those who took him through that legal process, which was an illegal process, and and they nail him to the cross. And he's 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 actually praying for those who are who are killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And so what that reminds us of, church family, is that even if people never love him, 
Jesus is what? Loving them. Loving them. How very different from so much of the kind of love that we see in our world. Love that is given, but only when it's given first. It's given back. It's returned when it's been given. Loving even though that love might not be returned, that's how Jesus loves. That's how we are to love, Jesus says. And then we note fourthly there on your note page that that Jesus love, the kind of love that he loves with is a love that never stops loving. Jesus' love never runs out. It never gets cut off because he gets tired or bored or we do something that breaks his heart and he says, I'm done. I'm not loving you anymore. We never get to that place. Later on during that evening in the upper room, Jesus will tell his followers in John chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus says, with the exact same kind of love that God the Father loves me, which is a never-ending, infinite, never-diminishing love, that's how I have loved you. And now Jesus says, as I have loved you, you love each other. You can never not be loved by me, Jesus says. And Jesus says, I want you loving like that. I don't know what this last truth does to your soul, brothers and sisters, but it should thrill our hearts. It should fill us with an incredible joy. John 15, 9 gives a whole new meaning to the word safe and secure. You are safe. You are secure in the love that God through Jesus has for you today. So we, we are to love like that, sacrificially, unconditionally, even when, when his love is not always returned. He's loving. We're to love like that. And, and knowing that, that this love is to be a never-ending love. Now, says Jesus, love each other like that. And we say, what do we say? I I can't love like that. I can't do that. You, Jesus, are asking me to do something that I can't do. And you know what? Jesus would heartily agree with you. He, he would instantly agree. He might even say, you know, you are absolutely right. You cannot do this in your own power. You cannot do this by your own effort. It will never happen. You will fail miserably, but you are wrong to say that it is impossible for you to love like this. You cannot say that because Jesus says, I would never ask you to do something you could not do. But you will need a power that is greater than you to be able to love this way. We need Jesus' own spirit the Holy Spirit living in us if we have any hope of loving like Jesus loves. Would you agree with that, church? Yeah. And we have him, though, don't we? Through faith in Jesus, do we not have the Spirit of God living in us right now, brother, sister? The Spirit of God is living in you right this moment. So Jesus would say, you can love like I love because I live inside of you. Romans 5.5 says it this way. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given 
to us through faith in Jesus. Or how about 1 John 4, 11 and 12? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives where? In us, and his love is made complete. It is perfected in that place. We can give away our own relationship with God, our own relationship with Jesus, which is a relationship built on and bathed in love when, as an act of our will, and, and, and apart from and how we might feel towards someone or they might feel towards us, we choose with our will to give sacrificial, unconditional, possibly not returned, never-ending love. We can do that. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? Church, do you believe this is possible? All right. (laughs) Yes. Why do you believe it? Because Jesus said it can be so, right? Verse 35, by this, all people are going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, church family, notice that Jesus does not say that everyone will know that we're Jesus' disciples if we love the world. He doesn't say that. If we love unbelieving people, if we love strangers and down and outers, and and we we love the, 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 the downright hostile to Christianity folks, if we love them, Jesus isn't saying that. Now, I believe that happens in our lives. We do love the world when we have been loved and truly understand how much we've been loved by God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. We will love the unbelieving world if we love God and love Jesus. We will do that. But that is not what Jesus says here in 13.35. He says that all will know that we belong to him If we love who? One another. If we love each other, the world's going to know. Brother to brother, sister to sister. Brother to sister and sister to brother within the faith community, loving each other. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children and children's toward their parents and, and friend to friend. Jesus says, everyone will know that you belong to me. They'll know you belong to me if you will just love each other. Each other. Now, over and over again in the New Testament, as the Holy Spirit pens the heart of God and puts it on the printed page, there is a word that constantly shows up, church, in the New Testament. It's perfectly designed to define a healthy church culture, this word. It's a little Greek word. It's pronounced alelois, alelois. It's translated into English as two words, one another, alelois. Say it with me, alelois. There you are. Now you are all Greek speakers, sort of. 
right? Sort of. Alleluia, one another. This word shows up 58 times in the New Testament, which by word count standards, if we're just going to assess subject importance, uh, subject priority in Scripture on the basis of how many times a word appears, that's a lot of times. 58 times. Alleluia, one another. And Alleluia never stands alone. One another is always associated with, it's going to always be connected with other words, an action or an activity that the followers of Jesus are going to be doing or engaging in, some specific action that will enable that church family, that community of faith to function more effectively in an atmosphere, a culture of allelois, love for one another. Several years ago, we shared a study series together, I think it was in, in 2014, called One Anotherism. That was the series, One Anotherism. Do you remember that series? All of you say, yes, of course, Pastor Tim. It's like right here on the front of my brain. I've never forgotten it. <laughs> what was that series about? Well, that series was about cultivating a culture of one anotherism within this church family as opposed to the individualism that is so pervasive in our secular culture. Our secular culture is very individually oriented. It's individualism everywhere you look. But, but God's word calls for us to be a culture of one another's or one anotherism. And so we talked about that and explored all of that. Jesus says, by this, all people are going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another, one another here in this place. So what does one another loving look like, practically speaking? How does it, how does it reveal itself? How does it show itself, make itself real and measurable and touchable and, and visible and observable? How does that happen in a church family? Well, if you flip that little note page over, take a look at the back with me for just a moment. After we remove all of the duplicates... There are some 40 different one another's on the pages of our Bibles. Now, I'm going to warn you, church family, this is not a list for the faint of heart. As you read down through this, this is amazing stuff. Check it out with me. Our Father, with Jesus as our most perfect example and the Holy Spirit as the enabler to make it happen, says at the top of that list, love one another. And we've been talking that out, establishing that. And since that's the, the, the one another that appears more than any other in the scriptures, we'll let that be the lead off for this list. But then look at what love for one another actually looks like. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Let me pause right there for just a second. In your bulletin this morning is a little card that looks like this. How many of you found this little card? Yeah? You know why that's in there this morning? Because if you will take this card and take the time to write a note in it and drop it in the mail... Just slap a stamp on it with an address. You just put a little bit of tape on there. 
And, and you can send this one another to a friend or to someone either in the church family or outside the church and encourage them. And so you would actually put legs to this one another simply by taking the time to encourage somebody. So I would challenge all of us, don't let that little green card get away or be thrown away or put, I notice sometimes it gets set back on the counter at the end of service. Shame on you if you ever do that. (laughs) Take this thing home. It'll take you four minutes to to, to write a note and, and get it off to somebody. Encourage them. So what else? Oh, care for one another. Forgive one another. Oh, that's huge, isn't it? In a community of faith, that is huge. We've got to be able to love one another by forgiving each other. Submit to, commit to, build trust with one another. Be devoted to one another. Be patient. Be interested in. Be accountable to. Confess to. Live in harmony with. Do not be conceited toward or pass judgment on or slander another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Meet with and agree with and be humble towards one another. Be compassionate. Do not be consumed by one another. Do not anger each other. Do not lie to each other or grumble or or to one another. Give preference to each other. Move to the back of the line today at, at the turning leaf. Right? Give preference to one another. Be at that. Yeah, now I'm, now I'm getting into your personal space. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> be at peace with one another. Sing with one another. We did that earlier. We're going to do it again. Be of the same mind with one another. Unity of thought. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another and carry one another's burdens. Wow. Wow, church. This extraordinary list, brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus was thinking when he said, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. What does it look like? It looks like this. Yes, we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is most definitely a vertical dimension to our love as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. But, oh man, there is most definitely a horizontal dimension to our love. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you also love one another. And by, by this, all people will know that you belong to me if you just love each other. Church family, when we love each other like Jesus loves, we're going to love sacrificially. We're going to love unconditionally. We're going to love even if our love is not returned. And we're not going to stop loving. We just won't stop. Do you think we can, can do this? Church family, do you believe we could do this? Love Jesus' way. Do you think we can love Jesus' way? Someone in the first service said yes over here, and someone on this side said no. 
The answer is yes and no. No, we cannot love this way if it's up to us to make it happen, right? We will never be able to love like that consistently. It just won't happen if it's up to us. But, yes, in the power of the one for whom nothing is impossible and in reliance upon the one who says that in my strength you can do all things, we can love like this. We can. We must. We must. Because in doing that, we love God. And we love Jesus. I'm praying for us, church family. I've been praying for us to be that that culture of one anotherism. I'm praying that individualism, wherever it might lurk in our midst, I'm praying it dies a quick and permanent death. No individualism here, just one anotherism. And I'm going to ask you to join me in that prayer. To make that a consistent part of your prayer life when you think of Pray for IBC, and as the Holy Spirit spurs you to to remember her, pray that we would be this place where one anotherism thrives. Because we love God. Because we love Jesus. And out of our love for them, we love each other. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit pour out your love into our hearts. May the example of Jesus be deeply impressed upon our hearts today. Again, we don't want to be just hearers of your word. We want to be doers of it. There's, there's 40 ways we can love on that back of our note page today. May we be doers, not just hearers. And how, how we thank you for loving us sacrificially, unconditionally, even when when your, our, your love was not returned and, and thank you for loving us without end. And perhaps in this room right now, Heavenly Father, there's someone who needs to really experience your love in a very powerful, personal way. Show them Jesus. Show them how far you have gone to love. And Jesus, we know you would never ask us to do what we cannot do. So may you enable us to love. Keep on loving each other like you love us so that all will know that we belong to you within these walls and outside of them as well. And we'll say thanks in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen and Amen. Let's stand together, church, and let's sing.